0: Dear, D.F.M. No, no, me,
1: Domedeath him. DFM. for me, dear, for me, dear, for me, dear, for me, dear, for Hello and welcome to the one, the only, Mass Effect retrospective that exists in my mind and my headcanon is the only one. It's the only one. You know, you can't dispute my headcanon. Nope. It's, it's, It's indisputable except for by my head but the voices and i we figured that out by ourselves i'm eric van allen joining me as <laughs> always is my co-host kenneth shepherd you judge by consensus yeah yeah you know it's it's well it's a committee ruling two-thirds on you know for state affairs and and just a simple majority for internal you know welcome to normandy <laughs> 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 oh we have fun here Uh, NormDFM, we are here to talk about Mass Effect. We are on Mass Effect 2. For those of us uh, who have been playing along, you should have played the Grunt and Jack recruit missions. Well, so here's the funny thing, Ken. The way we structure this is is that we do these recruit missions because they're kind of the first on your your Mm -hmm. dossiers to, to take care of. But I'm pretty sure that after you recruit Morden and then two more people it forces you to go to horizon and then right. you have to bounce back and so some of if you've been playing along and and doing as you've been told uh you y- you're you're ahead already good job guess what your reading's already done for next week happy birthday <laughs> but I... are you sure what that i'm pretty sure because i feel like i got forced into horizon before i did the grunt recruit i'm like i feel very certain about this huh
0: but Mm -hmm. okay
1: if you have a different experience please send an email in (laughs) normdfm at gmail.com uh and and dispute us please uh ken has to keep track of those so uh, Mm. i don't and that's the best part so he I can say whatever point. he wants and have no consequences. Exactly. There's no consequences on the NormDFM Gmail. That's... I'm kidding. I'm going to sue everyone who emails that account. Um. So first... First things first, before we get into talking about the recruiting, uh, today's going to be not only a shorter episode, but maybe more of a general gameplay-oriented episode because... These missions aren't that deep narratively. They're they're kind of just you know like go recruit this badass and shoot some people compared to the ones we've we've had so far in in Morden and Archangel uh, slash Garris. Now we can say Garris. Yeah, we can oh, say his name boy. now. Uh, <laughs> Save my name. Save my name. Good lord. Um, copyright. Gra- great. <laughs> I know, right? Hey, it's okay. It was it was less than three seconds. Uh, and it was also a parody by, by my own headcanon. They can't dispute that. <sighs> <laughs> Grunt and Jack are, are very combat focused and they're kind of more just shooter segments, basically. Yeah, it,
0: it, it's like we were talking about the last episode where like they kind of have to rely on sort of like gimmicks to make each episode or not each episode, make each mission stand out and i don't really mm. feel like they went that extra mile for grunt specifically that mission just kind of felt very standard like shooting through rooms and hallways it was um yeah i don't like it, it's, it's weird cuz like i'm i'm a huge fan of the krogan and just like their their story but i i don't know just like this particular mission didn't feel like it used a lot of that that well to me
1: yeah um i i mean i guess the general idea makes sense if you're like okay well the the Krogan well let's so let's get into it. We'll talk about Grunt first. The the Krogan are, you know, always about battle. They want they want to fight. They want to fight wars. Uh an interesting thing, I don't remember if it was brought up here or if it was brought up in um Morden's later discussions that you have with him above on board the Normandy. Uh but they talk about how th- the, the species, essentially the Salarians, found the Krogan and uh, the Turians, I think the Turians did as well. And they were basically this very, like, they had not advanced to space flight yet mm. or anything, but they recognized that these were aliens who were basically bred for combat. and right. And they gave them a bunch of tools and said, go fight our wars for us. And so now a lot of the problems that they've had to deal with since with the Krogan Rebellions and things like that, have been a symptom of uh, they gave tools to an alien race that, that was not ready to have them yet. And in some ways, I I find that really interesting because mm-hmm. uh, as, as we get further into Grunt's storyline, we'll get to kind of see what it looks like when the Krogan decide that oh, we need to start having a more um, cohesive presence. We need to have a home planet. We need to have a uh a government that we can rely on and it's working for us and stuff like that um i find all that stuff fascinating because it's just this really interesting thing and you could there's also maybe a slight veneer of you could get into some weird areas w- with it where it's like oh well we know what's best for the krogan and it gets into kind of some nasty discourse mm-hmm. areas, but it wouldn't be a bioware game if we didn't have those ken right. <laughs> <laughs> So, on that lovely note, we're in a Krogan battle royale, essentially, uh, because we're, we're coming to this planet to find Warlord Okir, because he's a badass Krogan doctor, and we want a badass Krogan doctor, that sounds and great. And he also
0: had some dealings with the Collectors that we're looking into, so...
1: Yeah, but I mean, he's just a badass Krogan do- I want to see what a Krogan doctor looks like, alright? Yeah, what, what does that even mean? It's like, how do they get the... do they have special coats that go over the, the big humpback thing they got going on is does it (laughs) like go all the way over and come back down like i there's questions i gotta know do they have stethoscopes i want to i want to see a krogan stethoscope probably looks pretty cool (laughs) Uh, so we show up to this uh deserted war-torn planet and there's a bunch of mercs just hanging out and in the middle of it is uh this krogan and we, we come to find that there have been promises made where uh, Okir is trying to tank breed the Krogan race. So this is once again about the genophage. We're trying to cure the genophage again this time by making them in a tank, not even involving the the doings and the goings-on <laughs> of the Krogan. <laughs> uh, uh, I, I like this this segment a lot. And and this is probably the one part where the narrative stands out for me. Here is is that um, when you talk to the first tank bred Krogan that you hey. meet, and and you mentioned this in your notes too that uh, it's kind of like the Rachni discussion in the first game where they're they're speaking through idioms and stuff, and right. in a way it's like we were talking last episode with the lovely Jay Malone uh, about. How idioms can kind of go across cultural lines and how, you know, there's this in universe thing that's supposed to be like translating everybody's talk and all that. So then maybe the the idioms are just being localized essentially for, mm. for each alien race. And this is one where I feel like it's just trying to do that, where it's just trying to make sense of the things that are being said by using idioms and stuff. I I find that stuff really cool. I wish they would go into it a bit more. But uh, and actually do it in like the game story and not just in like you know Codex entries. But tell me about how you felt about this this tank bred Krogan guy. It, like like you said, it's kind of like trying
0: to decipher a language barrier. But like it kind of sucks that we only meet this one person. But I think it makes that scene more impactful because like a lot of these Krogan that are being used in tank bred, we have to we just end up killing them. But this this guy mm-hmm. seems to be sort of like more tempered and like willing to help us out but he also I guess because of the nature of how he was made he feels like he has no other purpose other than to just keep killing it's like who knows what like who knows what could have happened to this tank bread crogan had he not been born in this, the state that he was
1: mm-hmm.
0: it's kind it's of sad cool. because like there's this one point where you're like come with us can you show us way?" and he's just like no this is this is what I meant to do this is why I was made and it's just kind of like fatalistic in that way but it's also kind of like has sort of a Ramifications of the way that the Krogan, as a culture, operate, because like they think that fighting is all that they're meant for, and th- th- we'll get into this more when we talk about some of the loyalty missions. But like the Krogan specifically, they exist in this universe and are constantly being told what their purpose is, and also because of, like the Genophage, they are told that they cannot fulfill purposes that they have been given. So it is very interesting to watch that species, like as sort of like a arc from beginning of Mass Effect One to Mass Effect Three, kind of. On its own terms, define what it's meant for, mm-hmm. despite the fact that everyone in the galaxy is telling them one
1: thing. And and one interesting part that that plays into it is that they are tank bred. Is that when he when he says like I'm meant for this, it's not just that like he feels this calling in in his blood. He has also just been made for a very explicit purpose, and so that that adds like an extra wrinkle to it of like oh well this this Krogan guy he's uh, he's just been told that this is like he was made for this reason and he should go do this and this is the only thing he's ever known so it's it's kind of yeah it's kind of weird and it's kind of sad in a way but mm. also like really interesting a little bit of insight into the the ideals here so fight through a bunch of mercs get to oak here and oak oh oak no gets, not before
0: not before we meet an old
1: face Run an office. Right, I forgot that she was here. Oh, uh, we get we run into our old Asari friend who was working for Saren on uh, Vermeyer. She's back. And she's working for Okir Always, always in the wrong place, at the wrong time. Yep. She's always around taking the... weird uh, science contracts.
0: Yeah. But... <laughs> I I I wish I'd maybe gone more renegade and talking to her because I wanted to see if there was another way to like scare her off like oh we're gonna blow this place up again. Because, <laughs> like, she even, she even says that she's walking away, like, I'm gonna leave before you blow the place up. Or something. Yeah. yeah.
1: It's, I, I like the little callbacks that they make throughout this game to to just tiny stuff like that that happened yeah. in Mass Effect 1. Because it's all very well done. It's, it's one of the better um, parts of the writing. is just the clever callbacks. Um, yeah, I
0: would say that some people will probably say that Mass Effect, despite the fact that it's galaxy-spanning, has a bit of, like, oh, it's a small world, like going on where like you meet people that you statistically probably shouldn't but it's kind of like what's the point of this carryover save if like you don't run across people and like have these small references to things that you've done because like if you're looking at characters who don't necessarily have like this massive impact like that spans major decisions at least like you can have these little tidbits here and there
1: and they don't have to all be fucking emails and and then you don't have to write a new character (laughs) i mean (laughs) fair also, unless um, you, know, like, you kill them in one, and then you gotta yeah. find something there. But look, she gotta stop taking the the science contract. I know the freelance hustle's hard. Okay, we <laughs> we know we know what a mood. It's, she's she's working for a for the exposure. You know. It's, mm. <laughs> 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 oh boy, industry ain't what it used to be. Um. Oof. So then we walk in. After finding our our dear freelancer friend, (laughs) we find Warlord (laughs) O'Kir. And uh, he has made one tank-bred Krogan. He has made one super Krogan with the technology. So this is the one part that I always liked. He's like, I made it using technology that that the collectors gave me. And Shepard's like, cool, can I see it for clues and stuff? And O'Kir's like, no, I used it all up making this one Krogan. I'm like that's not how technology works (laughs) that's it's not like a bottle of shampoo it's like (laughs) did the collectors give you like special shampoo like some i don't know some dove that you just like pour into that tank and then all of a sudden krogan's better like he's got i mean he's got better hair and you know i actually never specified exactly what it was (laughs) exactly so he's just like yeah i used it all up and i'm like what you don't use technology this isn't civilization this isn't a resource counter that you like deplete um yeah that really bothered me i don't know why i, just, mm. I was like you are you sure you're a doctor <laughs> what what school did you go to <laughs> i don't need to see a certificate the tachanka university <laughs> um the u of t uh so Kier using up all his Dove to make a, a very soft Krogan uh, It's a super Krogan and and The mercs are, are pretty pissed because He's, he's going pull to the, pull the plug On the whole operation essentially not give The army to, to Miss angry merc lady and so you got to go Shoot down her helicopter There's a lot of helicopter fights in this game uh, Well not helicopter but like hovership fights In this game now mm-hmm. I think about it Because we fight one here we fight one in Archangel. We fight one in Kasumi's loyalty mission, and I'm pretty sure there's at least one other that I'm forgetting. A lot of people have helicopters in this game all of a sudden. Mm. Don't know where they're getting them from. Never seen a helicopter in this game. I don't know. I think (laughs) helicopters are probably obsolete at this point. Well, I I call it a helicopter because it's basically what it is, but it's like a super advanced sci-fi hover ship, but it's basically a helicopter. In fact... Now I want a helicopter. Can we put a helicopter in the next Mass Effect? (laughs) If I don't get a helicopter soon, I'm gonna die. (laughs) (laughs) Um, this is so this is a good time to talk about the the combat so far because there's one thing I hate about helicopters is that they're so far away. I can't shoot them with my shotgun. I gotta pull out the heavy pistol and the machine pistol, and I mean they get the job done, but I want to hit them with my shotgun. You know. Bring me closer, so I can hit him with my shotgun. But Ken... Well, let me tell you about a game called Mass
0: Effect and Drama, where you can hit anything in the air, because there's actual, like, verticality in those games, then you can jump, and you can charge upward, and,
1: oh, that game's so good. Boy, boy, that sounds like a game that looks good on paper, but in practice, maybe not so much. Fuck off! <laughs> Ken, tell me how you're feeling about the, the combat so far in Mass Effect 2.
0: I... The the kind of like what I've said in the like, past couple of so- episodes is like, I think what I really appreciate is just this ownership of like combat roles that you don't really have in the first game, and they expand upon more in three and definitely in Andromeda, where there's not like a lot of strategy and tactics to what we're doing, unlike one where by the time I got like midway through that game, I was having to be very strategic and kind of more reserved with what I did. Um, here it's just more about, like, understanding how all your weapons... Like, everything that you've got at your disposal works together. Sort of, like, I can, I can pull this person and I can have Fane, throw them, so, like, that quickly gets rid of somebody, like, that we don't have to deal with. Or um, just understanding that, like... It's, it's just about kind of, like, understanding how everything works together. And that's something I appreciate, um, as
1: simplistic as it might make the actual mission structure. Yeah, it's, um... It's, it's funny, because I was thinking about this recently, uh, and and you had me go ahead and break the rules for you, because uh, for for a work reason, so you could get some screenshots for something, mm. <laughs>
0: uh,
1: I broke the rules and played the opening of Mass Effect 3 recently, uh, but not as my shepherd, so it doesn't count. Um, <laughs> but... When I was playing Mass Effect 2, I was like, "Oh man, this gameplay is so much smoother than I remembered. It's so great." And then I start played the opening of Mass Effect 3. I'm like, "Oh no, this is right. way better." Like, and it, yeah. it's it's weird seeing the the leaps that get made with every game in this series that is numbered. Oh, oh fuck <laughs> off, Jesus Christ! Um, but it's uh, it it was really interesting because. In playing Mass Effect 2, I don't think I ever thought poorly of the combat, and then I played three, and now I'm kind of like rethinking some of the things. And it's definitely not like uh, anything here is bad, but but you do mention that there's kind of a lack of tactics, and and a lot of Mass Effect 2 for the most part just kind of feels like this scrum, like this f- skirmish melee in the middle of a mosh pit, essentially. Like you're you're basically just finding cover and shooting things. And there's not really any flanking going on. You're not really thinking about different strategy stuff that you can do. There's not a lot of environmental hazards that you can mm-hmm. use, even compared to the first game. Uh, I I haven't seen as many of like the the, the toxic crates and stuff like that. So, right. um, it that all is kind of interesting. But at the same time, the way that the weapons feel and and, and just the there's a brutality to it because right. like I, obviously part oh, of that comes with playing uh, Vanguard. And, right. and having those weapons and those skills because everything then is much more punchy and shotgun blasts and heavy pistols, like, you know, slamming bullets out. I really like that there, as far as I know, there's no basic pistol. There's just the heavy pistol. There is no light pistol. <laughs> you don't, you don't use the light pistol. It's only the heavy pistol. I, I really like that personally, but um, it's a, uh, it's a different kind of combat, but at the same time, it's it's brutal in a way that I really like. It's just not strategic, like you said, in in other ways. Uh, so it is kind of a bummer when you got to fight the helicopters and and you just got to kind of shoot at them until they yeah. go down. Uh, some of the bosses in this game are, I mean, they're way better than Mass Effect One's bosses. Let's oh, yeah. let's get that out of the way first. But they are they do still fall under the bullet sponge category. Right. This this one just takes more bullets and will shoot you. More faster, <laughs> <laughs> so we shoot more faster, and we kill the, the helicopter, and uh, we go back and we find out that Okier, dumbass, locked himself in and uh, and and went and died. Silly guy. He, he there was like gas in the vents. I th- I think is mm. is that how it went? I yeah. Look, they they were look both Okir, had... not the most memorable guy. <laughs> I
0: don't know, like from a like in the very little time admittedly that we get with him I do feel similar to him how I do Arya it's like despite the fact that he's kind of fucked up and and calling me a Krogan killer even though I I wanted to save the Genophage Cure in that first game um uh, it's he's like more tempered and kind of like Arya just like it's refreshing in a way that like a lot of the people that are maybe of like nebulous morality that you come across in this game they're at least very forward and like it's it's, it's just refreshing to, like, not have to deal with, like, people that are, like, possibly going to screw you over the way that
1: you do in, on places like the Citadel. I, I feel like I would have felt that way originally when I first played the game, but replaying it here, I was kind of like, okay, so Akira is just the character that introduces us to Grunt then. So we're, this is basically how we get... I, I just always see him as, like, he is the guy that opens the door for Grunt to show up. Right. And be- because it's a game thing. You know, It's there is right. a video game thing that happens. And and also because, obviously, we're replaying this. This is a retrospective. This is not a first-time playthrough podcast. If you want that, you should still listen to FM. I'm sorry, there's no other options. You have to listen to us. Uh, and we are the only us. Mass Effect content on the internet. And support us at patreon.com slash <laughs> um. To make
0: Eric play the very good game, Mass Effect Andromeda.
1: Oh, God. Ugh. Um. Yeah, so that we get grunt on board, and they make this really big deal about whether or not you're going to open the tank. As if I'm not going to fucking open that tank and <laughs> find out what's inside. Because worst thing that happens is I got to fight a super krogan. And let me tell you, I my shepherd has fought many a super krogan and been just fine.
0: <laughs> the one, the one thing though, like when you're having the conversation with Miranda and Jacob about it, uh, she's like. Opening up, uh, like waking up a Krogan in close quarters would be non advisable. Shepard yeah. does exactly that, <laughs> like in like one of the most small, cramped
1: rooms on the Normandy. Yeah, when when you when it happens, I, I really like the exchange that happens when you do wake Grunt up because you know the, he slams you against the wall and you're having this very tense conversation where he's like, "Why shouldn't I murder you right now? Because I that's what my blood says I should do and stuff," um, and then. Shepard has the gun pulled on him the entire time just in case. Yeah. I, and it's I, shot just so like you can't see it until like they're done. It's it's funny that in this game, especially here, but uh in later missions as well, there are very specific moments where I'm like, Wow, there there was like thought put into the camera right. and stuff. And, and like real direction. Yeah, it's it's really refreshing in a way, coming from that scene would probably have just been Shepard going into that little um, I'm-a-shoot-you stance from Mass Effect 1 uh,
0: where they kind (laughs) of
1: squat and pull the pistol out and and they're just kind of looking at each other and then they kind of return back to their standing pose after that. It's Yeah, it's really cool to have those little touches because it changes a lot. Also, we don't have to see Shepard's ridiculous squat-shoot stance. (laughs) I can picture it in my mind. It's so, oh my god. One thing, though, that's kind of, like, I mean, maybe this is
0: more suited for the post-loyalty mission discussion, but, like, they, like, before you wake him up, like, you can ask Edie, like, just what she can tell from where he's in the tank, and she says that he's still marked by the genophage. Um, I d- Just at this point, I wonder what the hell Okir was trying to accomplish. Like, Grunt is obviously, like, this, like, exceptional fighter,
1: But how does he forward, like, move the Krogan Wraith forward? I don't... I think the idea was to get, like, a blueprint to make more in the future. And then the Krogan would just become, like, they would all be tank-bred. They would all be born that way since the genophage is going to stop them. Hmm. I think that was the, the idea. Or maybe he was trying to create a Krogan that was not infected by the genophage and he failed. Who knows? Um that would that would be interesting but uh that's that's it for grunt we got grunt on our team now but we got one more person to recruit and uh a polarizing person as as i have learned uh over the years (laughs) that jack is one of maybe the more polarizing characters in mass effect in terms of whether you enjoy her character or not so we're gonna we're gonna get underway with that uh Boy, this the whole bit about going to a satellite that is a giant privatized prison for super convicts, I was I remember playing it and being like this feels weirdly relevant. <laughs> like <laughs> um maybe maybe more so if it was a it was two years ago or so, but um yeah, the giant privatized militarized uh prison in space was um interesting setup uh for they, sure they even
0: talk about how like they like all the people here were sent by their homeworlds, like mm, and like for. they had to pay yeah they had to pay like a fee to like keep them there and if they don't pay the fee
1: they just release them back onto the world uh-huh and they they intentionally are like we release them back onto the world maybe in a crowded populated place with no warning <laughs> and it's like oh boy so this is he makes it sound good and he's like oh but This is extortion. This is... (laughs) Like... Boy. Um, It's a lot. We get to meet Warden Curil. God, it's such a weird name. We had to look this up before we started the podcast, and even then we're still sitting here like... (laughs) Curil? Curl? Curl." Kirill. Warden Curly. Warden Curly (laughs) hanging out. Curly the Turian. Um... (laughs) Hanging out, hmm. and he pulls a wacky prank on us. He, he he's gonna post it on YouTube later. Gonna get a ton of hits. It's gonna be great. Uh, he locks us. hit in, with something. Locks us in a room and says, "All right, Shepard, get in the prison cell, or 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 we're gonna shoot you, because that's worked so well for every person ever." I. Ken, you mentioned this as well when we were talking about this before the podcast, but this is maybe the dumbest plan I've ever seen in a video game.
0: He, he doesn't that even it, wait for Shepard to, like, walk into the room. He's just like, the doors are open. All right, get in.
1: Yeah. My di- my dude. He totally could have been like, oh, yeah, get in this. It's like an elevator to the, to the super holding cell or whatever. And then put Shepard in and locked it. And then, there you go. Done. Yeah. Easy. Instead, he's like, hey... Get in the prison cell that I'm telling you is a prison cell because I want to hold you ransom and extort people. God, Warden yeah. Curly, you're bad at this. All right, you're a bad <laughs> villain, Curly. <laughs> <It's... sighs> but I mean, I mean he—he's he used to capturing convicts.
0: He's never not used to capturing a specter. This is the first time for him. Go easy on him. Yeah, but he's got to make not... some
1: mistakes before he can be real good at this. He's. he's... He's going to be alive for a very long time, so he's got plenty of time to learn, right? <laughs> he's... so then we, you know, we bust out after Curly sends his drones and and various guards after us, and then we uh, undo the security locks and let Jack loose. And I think we got to before we get into like
0: specifics about Jack. I think we need to rewind a little bit, okay? Because something that came off very strange to me about this mission is the way that they obscure the fact that Jack is a woman. Yes. And they treat it like it's a twist. Because, like, it's very deliberate. Like, Jack, okay, Jack, that's a typically male name. Yeah. I mean, if it, as, like, a full name. I think, like, her full name is Jacqueline. So, like, that's where it comes from. But Jack is generally considered a male name. Nobody says her pronouns once, like, leading up to this. It's like, it's like they're trying to set it up as, like, oh, this badass couldn't pop, like, this badass that everyone is scared of couldn't possibly be a woman. So like when you get to her and she's this I mean, she's not like Hulking or anything, but she is this very intimidating looking woman full of like tattoos and like got her head shaved. She's like not not what anyone like I don't I feel like the notion that this is like a twist is very... like that is not age well. That is very strange. It's, like it's that would kinda, not happen.
1: It's not too different from the Samus is a woman twist yeah, in, in Super yeah. Metroid. Um, but even then, that was just kind of a thing that you got if it was if you beat the game with a certain clear time, and it wasn't like a a big story twist reveal in the way that it is here, where it's like Jack is a tattooed, bald headed woman. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah, there's I mean, there's a lot of if, if we want to rewind a bit, there, there's a lot of stuff in this whole segment where you're talking to prisoners and stuff that are that's very like. Mm. Not a lot of this has aged well, as as Ken notes in the the show notes here. uh, First time that BioWare acknowledges that men have sex with other men, it's in a prison rape joke, so... Oh, boy. (laughs) Thanks, BioWare. Thanks for that. (laughs) Thanks for the shout-out, BioWare. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's, frankly, it's just mean. It's just mean.
0: Mm.
1: Gonna go open up a nightclub on omega and change all this change the mass (laughs) effect universe forever uh yeah and and there's a bunch of stuff in here where it's just like oh oh like it's almost a laugh line (laughs) where this guy's like oh i killed i only killed like five people i'm only a serial killer or whatever these other guys are way worse and it's like (laughs) i mean yeah you know that's kind of like haha funny okay that's like there's a lot of like really seriously bad people in here but it's I don't know, some of the writing around the prisoner stuff here was definitely like, mm, maybe it's not aged well. And, and yeah. also, it's it. I don't know, just not... I feel like we talk a lot about how the, the game tries to set up every everyone you recruit as being like, oh, look at how badass they are. People yeah. are going to tell you how badass this person is before you even see them doing badass stuff. Right. And this one especially just kind of falls flat. In the end. And
0: it's especially weird because, like, there there are points where it's trying to get you to sympathize with these prisoners. One, because, like, purgatory is clearly corrupt, which, I mean, Mm -hmm. we've learned through various ways. But there's this point right before you talk to the guy that makes the prison rape joke um, where the guards are beating up a prisoner. Just like... Yes, yeah. Yeah. And you have the option to be, like, an idiot. Be like, oh, yeah, he deserves it. You go. You do that. Um, But I was like, this has been, like... Okay, I'm trying to remember like, the exact like, flow chart of di- dialogue. It was like, stop. And then I used the, the intimidate that was like, um, I told you to stop. And then the guy's like, oh, there are cameras and guards all around you. What are you doing? And I was like, neither of those things are going to be able to f- be fast enough to save you. Fucker.
1: Mm hmm. It's. Yeah. It... One of the things this game tries to do is it tries to set up like all these morally gray areas because Shepard is operating in a morally gray area. And so it really wants you to feel a a lot. I feel in that it wants you to feel like you're always having this thing of like, I need to get the job done. And that means I'm going to have to make compromises at some point. That means I'm going to have to like do some morally gray things. I'm going to have to work with less than honorable people because it's all for the greater good of stopping the collectors and so I feel like a lot of the writing just tries to set that up. That's like, hey, you know, Shepard is going to have to do some dark stuff. It's going to, mm. you know, the the everything changed or changed him. And, and they're different now and they got to do different things. They're not the clean specter that they used to be. They, they... <sighs> I almost want to like call it, like it's a dirty cop sort of sort of right. thing, like a dirty cop movie. But like Shepard's not even really a cop anymore. especially depending on certain choices you might have made so uh, some of it works really well like we talked about in the last two episodes the stuff with Archangel where it's like okay you're going to straight up trick these mercenaries and turn around and kill all of them Like those bits work well because I feel like the writing was better there and the mercs end up playing this very good foil to who you are and and what you want to do Uh, whereas here it's like you show it's like oh the the prisoners are bad and so is the prison everything's bad isn't that great and it's like uh oh, it's, it's not that original
0: yeah and
1: now that we'd like just...
0: <laughs> fast forwarding a little bit like the thing that makes all of that kind of shitty in the end is because of how everything plays out in this you end up killing a lot of these prisoners anyway like mm-hmm. like for all the sympathy I'm supposed to have I still have to fucking kill prisoners that have been blocked no okay, like they've been locked up here under the extortion of their homeworlds, but like i like I didn't come here to be like cruel to prisoners. I mean, that's obviously like a much larger discussion than normally FM is probably equipped to handle, but just like I don't know like it's they they want you to feel a certain way in this mission, and they I don't think that they are capable of delivering on that just depend just because of how things
1: go on. There's also a bit, so, again, recently I played through uh, David Cage's uh, (laughs) Fahrenheit, I almost said Fahrenheit 451, Fahrenheit Indigo Prophecy. Um, And there's a segment in that game where you are trying to find out the reasons that people are seeing visions and killing other people and stuff like that. Uh, And so you go to visit a guy who claims that the only reason he killed these people was because he saw the visions. (laughs) And, sorry, I'm a little froggy. Uh, I went to PAX over the weekend. I think I got the bug. Um, Mm. So, uh, you're in this prison, and the guy's like, oh, yeah, just head on into our Supermax facility and all that. Every once in a while, the the power goes out. You know, our control room here is safe, but it can mess with the doors out there sometimes. So, who knows? But don't worry. It probably won't happen while you're in there. And guess what happens while you're in there and the, mm. the power goes out and all the prisoners are out and you got to dodge around stuff and that's what this mission felt like was is like certainly nothing can go wrong in this prison where all the prisoners could potentially get let out and things could go totally awry um and and it, and it happens and granted you free jack because you want to recruit jack and and that's eventually what you end up doing after fighting a whole bunch of evil robots and stuff. But, um, you know, Jack kills Warden Curly and, and you meet Jack and it's kind of this, Oh, cool! Here's Jack. She's super badass, and she hates a bunch of people. And and you just kind of like make this deal, where it's like, okay, well, we can both help each other out if you want. You know, I can give you a bunch of dirt on Cerberus if you come work with Cerberus and stuff. But I I don't know. I just I, I feel like the intro to Jack is definitely it left me wanting because I felt like I by the end of it. At least with other characters, I knew who the person was that I recruited. I know I knew the kind of stuff, you know, they'd gone through mm-hmm. or their their kind of backstory. But by the end of this mission, I knew very little about Jack. Just that she's mad at Cerus. Yeah, that she's it, just it, generally it, eternally pissed, and she's a badass tattooed chick with biotics and stuff. But we. You know, and granted, at least some of that stuff opened because it, it wants you to, the game wants you to do the loyalty mission and the writers want you to go see that stuff and go talk to Jack and go learn more if you want to do that. And I understand that much, but I, I feel like it did a lot of setting up and telling you how awesome Jack was, but not necessarily even why you want to recruit her other than she's super badass.
0: Yeah, like it. I will say one thing that I appreciate about Mass Effect 2 is that it, more so than Mass Effect 1, lets you have these like tumultuous relationships. Mm-hmm. With the squad mates, and I feel like from the outset, Jack and I were not on the same page because, uh, like, you you finally catch up to her after she's been you know just blowing through this entire prison, and she's like, the first thing he's like, "What the hell do you want?" And I was like, "I literally just saved you." What? Like, what is your, Okay, fine. And then she like, there's a there's a point where, like, okay, this, this entire ship is about to like blow up, and I'm offering to take her with me, and she's arguing. And it just, like, sets this precedent, like, these two people that are going to, like, be clashing even though they need each other. Um, Mm -hmm. And it, like, we, we didn't really talk about it much with Morden, but, like, I have a very similar relationship with Morden, where, like, my shepherd is... he and Morden don't really get along for a bit, and some other characters as well. And for, like, all the kind of, like, lack of exposition of Jack as a person, I do appreciate that, like, it gets... It does a very good job of setting her
1: up, just, like, in terms of the relationship you're going to have. That's that's fair. Um, I, I just think that a lot of the better Jack stuff happens in the loyalty missions and like the sure. discussions fair on sure. the ship and stuff. And I feel like that kind of becomes a trend uh, from here on out because the, the other recruit missions are, are good, but maybe more focused on other things where, mm-hmm. you know just the actual recruiting itself and and then you kind of learn more about the character and get more information as it goes on uh, one last thing though <laughs> I do you do mention that the conflict is good on the ship and setting up bringing Miranda on this mission was great I was really yeah. happy I chose that <laughs> because the whole like Jack's bit with her where she always calls her the cheerleader and stuff mm-hmm. that's just like yeah, that's solid. That's solid, <laughs> Bird <burn>, Jack. <laughs> solid intuition. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and I actually, I think having Jack on board and and all those kinds of conversations helps humanize Miranda a little bit more and make her yeah, more of sure. a character and and, and kind of give you like insight and in, it makes her question a lot of things because I think it sets up what later happens and what you later learn about in three and stuff like that where, uh you kind of get to see different sides of Miranda and not just the, you know, she's not just there as the Cerberus liaison. That right. that she is this, this character who can question things and can deal mm-hmm. with stuff. Um, does, does a later... better job in the end
0: by that than the person who was eventually set up as that, which was Jacob. But yeah. see, we had to get one Jacob dig in there Wait, before Jacob, the episode's over. Jacob's in this game? <laughs> I think so. I was told so.
1: Um also if you watched my stream that I did of playing the ending of Mass Effect 2 um Miranda's great later on because she just volunteers for everything I love it we'll talk about that when we get to the suicide mission but <laughs> it's <laughs> that that was actually one part I completely forgot about it's actually hilarious so um yeah that'll do it today for, for Norm D.F.M. uh next episode you should have already done the required reading for I guess uh we, we don't know how that works we just play the video games um so, Horizon will be our next episode. Uh, we heard that there's a collector ship mid abduction, and we're going to go take care of that. And who knows? It's it, we might see some familiar faces there in the process. It, it might get real gay. Oh uh, yeah. So yeah. If you like being gay in space, be sure to tune in to Norm DFM next week. Dormedia Film.